Sonic Solidarity is sponsored in part by the Michigan Council for the Arts and Humanities, the National Endowment for the Arts, our patrons at patreon.com, and listeners like you. Learn more about Detroit Sound Conservancy, browse hundreds of artifacts, oral histories, photographs, and recordings, and join our mailing list at DetroitSound.org. <laughs> Welcome to Sonic Solidarity, a podcast of Detroit Sound Conservancy during the pandemic, COVID-19 outbreak and crisis. Uh, my name is Carlton Bowles, Executive Director of Detroit Sound Conservancy, and I'm joined today over the phone with Elizabeth uh, K. Wine from Memphis, Tennessee. Elizabeth, can you hear me? Yes, loud and clear. Good to be with you. Good to be with you. Elizabeth, uh, briefly, uh, Detroit and Memphis share so much music and culture oh my gosh, and yeah. experiences. It's it's uh, crazy. Uh, just in my own life uh, in the last 10 years, visiting Memphis, um, seeing uh, Stax reborn, uh, Stax Records, the whole building had been, mm. been lost. And uh, I happened to be there. A number of years ago, when um, Stax was uh, being, there was being broken ground at Stax. They were going to rebuild it. I happened to be in Memphis that morning uh, mm. when they broke ground. I was driving through to New Orleans and and happened to be there. And uh, I've since been back and seen the renewed Stax. Um, we have a, a really great uh, outside of the city community partner related to, to music with. Tanya Dyson at the Memphis Slim House, who you know and you can talk about yeah. uh, briefly. Uh, she came up to speak at our Detroit Sound 5 conference in 2018. And, you know, we've just had um, good conversations back and forth with Memphis. Memphis is a big city, but it's also a has a small town vibe. Definitely. Uh, it has had uh, um, a deep music culture, but also has deep uh, civil rights uh, concerns and histories. And, uh, we also just have these shared figures, whether it's, uh, Aretha Franklin, um, who's born in Memphis, but obviously Detroiters claim her as our own. And then of course, uh, we, we were the ones who were helpful with the United Sound Systems, preserving that studio here in Detroit. And of course, so many stacks musicians actually recorded here in, in, in Detroit, mm-hmm. in, including Isaac Hayes and all that kind of stuff. So that's just a preference to say uh, for our first interview with someone outside of the city of Detroit, it's really good to have someone from Memphis and um, repping all the things that you do. So uh, without further ado, Elizabeth, can you just say, uh, say a little bit about who you are and what is your relationship to Memphis music? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, okay. So first of all, since you were on that stacks tip and what a story to have been, to have been coming through and experience that I have to start with just a little bit of like a braggy thing. That is my favorite thing that has ever happened to me, which is quite recently I was featured in a stacks museum exhibit. Uh, and I feel like that is the definition of my connection to Memphis music. They did an, an exhibit actually, um, Tanya Dyson was also featured was on women of Memphis music. And so I was thrilled to be, 
in the Stax Museum is like literally the coolest thing that has ever happened to me as a human being. It was amazing. Um, all of my lanyards from all of the conferences and festivals I've gone to over the years repping Memphis were hanging in a museum case. It was it was truly um, the bomb. And I love uh, Stax and the Stax Museum. Um, so how, how and why was I in the Stax Museum, I suppose, is the next answer, uh, which is that I, uh, for about 10 years, have worked in a Memphis Music PR. I ran my own agency for a while. And uh, about five years ago, four years ago now, I started the nonprofit that I run today, which is called Music Export Memphis. And we are an export office for Memphis music. Everything that we do is focused on creating opportunities for artists who live here in Memphis to get out, uh, to do what they do on the road, and frankly, to support them in doing what they've already been doing for years to brilliant effect, which is being the most compelling ambassadors for our city. So we do that through tour grants. We go to festivals and conferences like South by Southwest, Americana Fest, and we produce showcases. Um, and then we just, you know, find those ad hoc opportunities. We, we sent an artist to Sundance uh, this past January, actually, to perform through a partnership. So we're just always looking for ways to get Memphis artists on the road. And a uh, of late, since about March 18th, we've been running a COVID emergency fund that's granted out more than $160,000 to individual Memphis musicians and, and will continue to grant um, out until, uh, you know, we'll, we'll keep doing it and keep raising money until the need isn't there, uh, we believe. So that's been our big project. And then the other two kind of perspectives that I bring into the conversation are I um, teach a course at Rhodes College here in Memphis called Music Urbanism that I developed. And it really just kind of explores the intersection of music and smart, uh, thoughtful urban planning uh, and how music can um, make cities better, how music is a tool to improve life for all citizens, not just musicians and those who are super engaged with the music community. Um, so I've been teaching that course for two years now and uh, have also coming to this conversation with several years of experience working with Sound Diplomacy, uh, who uh, Sound Diplomacy is an international consultancy that works with cities, towns, places to help them think about how to leverage music for social, cultural, and economic benefit. Obviously super tied to the to the work that I've done with my course at Rhodes. And I spent a couple of years helping Sound Diplomacy build out their U.S. market strategy. So um, that was kind of 2018 and 2019, uh, doing lots of work with them on the ground here. So um, yeah, I think that's, I think that covers the full hat rack of hats. <laughs> No, it's a great place to start. You know, it's just important to us as an organization that we, you know, uh, connect Detroiters to the best of what's happening, uh, both in their city, but outside of their city and, you know, where we can internationally. And um, so this is a, it's a good opportunity to put some of those things together. So let's talk about direct with COVID. And first of all, I, I should have begun, you are healthy. Yes, I am. And so is my family. So, and I hope you and yours are as well. Yes, at the moment they are, but, you know, we have lost uh, musicians here in the city. And I just wonder, you know, without being too maudlin about it, uh, I just wonder if you can just talk a little bit about how COVID has hit Memphis just, you know, broadly, and then and then the musicians community uh, specifically. Yeah, I mean, I think that there are some realities uh, that are amplified, and we are seeing this all over the country and all over the world. But the reality is that Memphis is a poor city. Um, and, you know, a lot of our 
jobs and industries are lower wage jobs. Uh, these are folks who, whether they are considered essential or you know simply don't have the luxury of being able to work remotely or work from home. So obviously in that situation, you are going to find that uh, there's a higher level of impact um, in a community like Memphis. I think, you know, in general, we, I can't, I'm not an epidemiologist. I can't speak to, you know, the the landscape of disease or anything like that. But uh, we, you know, certainly the folks around me are are trying to do our best. But when you have a when you have a higher uh, population that is in poverty, it's just going to hit you disproportionately. And I think that, you know, what we've seen with our music community is that the vast majority of them make 100% of their income from live performance or the experiential economy in some way. Um, and it's devastating, you know. So what, what's been really striking to me is the number of, and, and it's, these are things I knew, right? These are things that I, I definitely knew, but I didn't have a reason to be thinking about them every single day, which is that musicians don't have rainy day funds. They don't have the means to have a savings um, that would cover months of expenses the way people are, you know, advised to do. They don't have retirement, uh, you know, accounts or pensions that they're saving for. They don't have insurance in many cases because the wage that they are being paid for those live gigs, largely has been unchanged for the last 30 or 40 years. You know, if you were making $100 a night on Beale Street in 1990, you're still making $100 a night, um, or you were before COVID. And, you know, when you think about how spending power has changed, how the economy has changed, inflation over that period of time, it's shocking that we expect people to still be able to live on that amount of money. And so obviously, when all of a sudden lights turn out, there's a tremendous crisis. Um, just in reviewing the applications for our emergency relief fund, we ask artists to give an estimation of how much money they had lost due to COVID. And and when we started, this was literally, you know, in the in mid-April, we were just asking for the last month, how much income have you lost? And the average was over four thousand um, dollars. And and it you know and here we are handing you a five hundred dollar check, which obviously I'm so glad that we're able to do that to give that money to people. But it does feel like a drop in the bucket when the need is the the loss is truly catastrophic and the need is so great. And the other thing that struck me just underscored my first point, which is that as you look at these applications, you have artists listing out maybe you know twenty gigs, and then they list out the amount of money that they were expected to make from those twenty gigs, and it's you know. $1,500, $2,000. And, you know, it's it's no surprise to me that we're in the position that we're in, but it's it's a, a needed uh, moment of reflection on we have to make some changes so that uh, we are better supporting our music community into the future because there will be another crisis, you know? Um, and I think that we have to learn from this moment. And I'm, I'm, I'm going down a road now of a question you didn't even ask, but uh, it's definitely been catastrophic for our music community, to say the least. Absolutely. I, uh, here in Detroit, you know, the numbers of people infected and the deaths now in the city, you know, I, approximately 5,000, um, dead in the city. Um, not to mention just the impact on, you know, different cultural areas. Uh, our, an old friend, Mike Huckabee, uh, just one of the biggest examples, um, his obituary was written in the New York times as a DJ for many, many years. We worked together at record time and, um, it's been brutal in that way. Uh, financially, uh, at the moment, uh, well, I won't say, I don't know what the city is doing in terms of, uh, cultural, 
um, numbers, you know, what kind of estimates they're doing. That's part of the reason why I called you because I want, uh, you know, DSC is very interested in, you know, encouraging (laughs) this sort of data collection. So before I get to that question, can I just ask you, make it, explain it to me like I'm, 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 I'm the simple, the, this, you know, the simplest person ever. Your music export office is a nonprofit. It's independent of the city government, correct? That's correct. But how does it work? What is its relationship to uh, city and civic leaders? How does that? How does that work? How are you? Um, uh, how 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 do you get them on the phone if you do? And and how is that relationship? Would you describe it briefly for us? Yeah. So our mission is really focused on talent attraction and tourism, and so those are the avenues through which we access leadership in the city because those are the areas that we firmly believe live music and music in general really drives results in. You know, it makes you want to come to a place, whether that's just a visit or to move there. You want to move to a place because it has thriving nightlife and culture, and and that's a music scene. So we work very, very closely with our city's essentially marketing arm, uh, which is called Memphis Brand. They're a primary funder of ours and have been for several years. They fund our tour grants, uh, and they are the primary entity that's thinking about the contemporary brand story of Memphis. Um, So we work very closely with them, and we work with our our tourism bureau as well. So those are really the kind of avenues through which we access our city's leadership. And then I would say the rest of it is through bullish advocacy, right? I mean, you know, I think at some point we um, we just are are constantly out there banging the pot or you know on the megaphone for Memphis music um, and and in support and advocacy of our individual music creators. Uh, and over the years, that has gotten the ear of of our leadership in a, in a variety of ways. So um, yeah, that's kind of the, the the different ways that we approach it. Who is the current uh, mayor of Memphis today? Jim Strickland. And uh, without getting you in trouble or any other kind of details, not, you know, just from a broadly speaking, how has the Strickland administration uh, been to work with, uh, you know, through this crisis, but also just in terms of music? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that what I like about uh, Mayor Strickland is that, and I I really will speak more to his communications team because that's who I work with more. Um, And they are passionate about a contemporary narrative for our city. And I think that's something that really speaks to where I'm coming from when it comes to how I approach Memphis music. We are a city that has an unbelievable music legacy, um, better than any other city on earth. Sorry, Detroit, but you know, I have to say it cause this is my, this is my place. Um, sure. right. So I, so I believe that, and we've built a fantastic tourism industry on that music legacy. We have, you know, we have stacks and we have rock and soul and Graceland and we have all of these, um, attractions where you can come and experience, but that's our legacy. And, you know, it's a huge moneymaker. It employs tons of people. It's critical. I will, I will always be thankful to live in a city with such a legacy. But what we can't do is focus on our legacy at the expense of our contemporary artists and sort of, you know, our mission with Music Export is really to shine a light on the young artists that are making new music right now and that are outperforming new music right now. And so what I appreciate about where um, our administration is coming from, just when it comes to this story of Memphis, who are we as a city, is that they're so they're forward looking on that front Um, and they're very interested in 
for example, the work of Memphis Brand and how are, you know, how is the contemporary story, the story of young people, right? History is made by young people in the moment. Um, a friend of mine says that often. And so, you know, what's the history that's being made right now by our young people? Um, and that's, I think, where we definitely share an ethos. And in terms of the fund, so $160,000, I mean, you know, any amount helps. I mean, I think about just, you know, how much money, you know, my family's putting out just trying to, you know, make sure that our food orders, like when we go out to the grocery store, that we're doing bang for buck, but also not having to leave the house for, right. you know, two weeks. And so all of a sudden a bill that looked like one kind of bill, uh, maybe once a week or every week and a half, or maybe even a couple times a week, right? You just grab things as you, as you need them, just became a rent sized bill, right. like all of a sudden. So, uh, 500 bucks, uh, not a lot, uh, absolutely with the need, but 500 bucks will, you know, that'll take care of a gross, some groceries there. And, and right now, um, you know, that is some, you know, there's some real value, but where did that money come from? Oh, yes. I'm excited to tell this story. So actually, um, our total fund amount right now is at two, about 280,000. Um, so we have, we have more money to give out, as I said, and we will keep giving it out. And we actually now have opened up to repeat applicants. So it's a slightly lower amount on the second application. Um, but we are funding artists again and we expanded. So it's not just artists and musicians anymore. We're actually awarding funds to anyone whose livelihood was in the live music industry. So um, if you work in live sound, if you were an events team for, you know, a tour, whatever it might be, you're eligible to apply for funds from us. Um, so we've been able to kind of expand our footprint, which I've been really excited about. But the, that's 100% because we have a hugely diverse um or diverse revenue sources for this. So we've gotten funds from, we got $85,000 from the Kresge Foundation, which we were, I mean, just incredibly grateful for. And we've also gotten funding support from our private foundations here in Memphis. We have raised uh, about $13,000, maybe close to 14 now, just from individual donors from like 275 individuals who's give, who've given. Um, and I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that so many of them are musicians themselves who've done like live streams to give back to us. Um, but we also learned a couple of weeks ago that $100,000 is coming to us from the city. Uh, from CARES funding that has come in for, uh, you know, support during COVID. So they, you know, designated us as a recipient um, in their sort of line item under support for individuals, because obviously we're supporting individual musicians. So 100,000 of that 280 has come from the city um, to support our musicians. Out of the, just to be clear, just out of that federal CARES Act? Mm -hmm. Yep. And how does that, I, I have so many <laughs> thoughts about that. That's that. Um, Don't ask too many, many deep questions now. I may yes. not know all the nitty gritty. No, 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 no. It's great. And, you know, our city is going through so much right now. And I, I want to be sensitive to the struggles of even just our basic city workers just to keep the city right. moving during this period. Basic, you know, everyone, you know, just being able to show up our hats off to, to, to all these workers. But the impact, like you said, was immediate, it is ongoing. Uh, I'm still talking to musicians now who were booked out, you know, six months, you know, oh, the, gosh, the top yeah. musicians are booked out six months to, to a year ahead. So all of a sudden, that revenue is gone. And I very much appreciate, uh, you know, the Kresge Foundation was involved in supporting uh, our purchase of the Bluebird Inn. And is one of the reasons why we were able to bring up 
uh, Tanya uh, Dyson yeah. from Memphis Lemhouse to Detroit two years ago to discuss uh, the impact of music and urbanism and neighborhoods. So um, we'll, we will put some links in there about all that good uh, COVID work, but let's just, let's switch now to, uh, you know, urbanism and sustainability. And I think that'll be, that'd be great. So let's talk about uh, music and urbanism. You were uh, uh, nice enough to invite me to speak to your class. I guess maybe it was last year. Yeah. Um, and uh, tell me if, if someone were to come to you and say um, why uh, music is important uh, to, uh, it'll be interesting, the words you use, the kind of redevelopment, because as, as we all know, in, in certain kinds of redevelopment, especially in Detroit, at least, you know, uh, smacks of gentrification, there's mm-hmm. lots of concerns about all of that. But generally speaking, we're coming to uh, a neighborhood like Stacks, right, where the Memphis Slim House is, uh, that's not immediately downtown, right, that's not part of the downtown core, uh, I don't know how you describe these things within the city, but you know, right. It's not on Beale street. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's in the neighborhood. Right. Yeah. And so how do you, uh, if someone, you know, a corporate person or someone who was looking to make investments or just somebody in, in policy world, in the city's policy world that may not have that cultural, uh, map in their head as to why music is important. What's the, what's the value add, uh, there? How do you describe uh, the importance of, of music to cities? Oh my gosh. Well, with the way you framed that, I feel like I could answer this question all day long. Um, and you know, I, I think I've spent my life trying to get people to understand this too. You know, you can come at this from a number of different angles. And I think that I consistently just try to determine you know, who, who am I talking to and what's their priority, right? If you're speaking to somebody who yes. whose priority is economic development, for example, and certainly plenty of our elected leaders, that's a priority. They want to see jobs. They want to see, um, you know, income. Uh, they want to see that economic prosperity come into their community. We can talk about music as a driver for economic development, um, specifically in, in cities like Memphis and Detroit. Literally, you know, what is the music industry look like? What does the music community look like? And how do we, uh, you know, build or create um, infrastructure or give them tools for that industry to grow, to be a growth, um, to be a growth industry for our community? I think that what we spend a lot of time thinking about in the music urbanism course specifically is the way I always phrase it to my students is how is music a tool? in this situation. Um, and so I think that the one that, uh, the two things pop out to me, um, from your question. And one is that obviously, you know, music is culture. Um, and if we just build cities full of metal and wood boxes to house people and there is no culture, we have no cities. We don't have places that anyone wants to be. You're going to have big, empty metal and wood boxes, right? Um, culture is what brings people to a place. It's what makes people care about a place. And I think in a city like Memphis, when we think about how tied music is to our civic identity, that identity, that shared identity that we have around music, that shared passion and belief that Memphis is this great music city, it ties us to each other. It ties us to our city. It ties us to each other. It begats greater investment from individuals in our city. And that's at a at a micro level of caring for your neighborhood and your neighbors. And it's at a macro level of wanting to represent your city and see, you know, and fight for great things to happen for your city um, and advocate for your city. So I think, you know, that is a big piece of it. And the other 
I think about this a lot right now is that music is one of the most compelling tools that we have for social cohesion. So just going back to that idea of community, when you think about how people come together, um, you know, there's this, this sort of uh, cliche about, you know, music is the universal language, but it's a cliche because it's true. Um, in music, not only do we find universal ways to connect with each other across many, many different um, life and demographic, you know, barriers or divides, um, we also find ourselves to be uniquely and exquisitely represented in music um, as an art form. And we find that we build these micro communities. I'm, I was actually just reading uh, an article today about Memphis hip hop and the way that it's represented different neighborhoods in Memphis over the years. And if you want to know about any specific Memphis neighborhood, like just go back and explore Memphis rap, especially like from the 90s, uh, from sort of late 80s and 90s, uh, early 2000s. And you're going to find, you know, that, that that neighborhood represented in song. So there is this deep connection of place and community to music. Um, and I think that you know, we can make these economic development arguments all day long, and I do to plenty of people. But ultimately, um, especially right now, I think so much about the community piece and the way that it simply binds us together as humans and creates opportunities for us to feel included, to feel safe, to feel represented. And those pieces are integral to the development of healthy cities. How do we develop a space, an urban center where people want to live if we don't have that level of social cohesion, if we don't have community, if we don't have connection with our neighbors, and music is a phenomenal tool by which to achieve those goals. What city to you, uh, because, you know, we're obviously looking to other cities for best practices. We know, uh, even though we, we too believe our city <laughs> is the musical yes. city par excellence uh, globally, but uh, we know we know we're smart enough to know that other cities uh, are, are doing it better in certain ways. What is do you think as you, as you go around as you talk to other people as you engage with sound diplomacy and all these things that you do? Who's really doing it? Who's really doing it right? Who are some uh, examples of cities that that um, are, are are really thinking this through uh, properly and really putting putting musicians and music first? Gosh. I, I'm going to answer your question, but I have a sort of depressing answer at first that I, it's going to sound depressing, but I actually, I take comfort in it, um, which is that really there's not an answer to this question. You know, we, we, especially God, COVID has really uncovered the ways that we're all doing it wrong. Um, if we were doing oh. it, if we were doing it right, would this, things wouldn't be as broken as they are right now, right? We, we wouldn't be, right. in, musicians wouldn't be in this tremendous state of crisis if we had figured yes. some things out. So, and, and I, honestly, that really was a comforting point for me when I was traveling a lot with sound diplomacy is just, you know, I would hear people talk about well, our city, you know, here's our unique set of problems and here's why it's so messed up here and why it'll never be right. And I would just think if I, if I recorded you and played you in five other cities that I can think of off the top of my head, they would all think you were from their city, right? We all think our problems are so unique, but in fact, they're not. And, and I, actually, I do really take comfort in that. I'm not just saying that because I think that what it means is that we can all work together to find solutions to some of these problems. So I think on a micro level, there are some some things that I would point to. And the, the one example that comes to mind is that New Orleans um, just completed a music strategy project with Sound Diplomacy. And I'll, I'll confess to not, I've not sort of been paying close attention to some of the implementation, which may be happening now. So I don't want to claim to be an expert there. But what I know is that when they started that work, they 
they were incredibly intentional about the focus of the project being on intellectual property. And how do we create these lifetime income streams for our musicians? They already have a tremendous live music economy. They, ha- and you know, it's one of the best in the world. You know, if you want to really enjoy loud music, you go to New Orleans. They, they've got that down. They don't need anyone to come in and help them figure out how to boost their live music ecosystem. What they need is better tools in place to equip those musicians, some of whom are, are true culture bearers for New Orleans, who've been making music there for decades. They need to be right. better equipped. And the ones who are coming up now need to be better equipped with the knowledge and uh, and the resources to create lifetime income. Uh, and that it cannot, you know, and this connects so to COVID, right? It cannot all be coming from that live gig that you're playing every single night because there's going to come a point where you can't do that anymore. And we have to start building uh, those revenue streams for you. And so I was so pleased to see that the city, and I and I think that was sort of led by the Chamber of Commerce as well, was saying, yes, we want to invest in a music strategy. So ding, ding, very happy to see that. But then also, we want to double down and say, we want this strategy to be around intellectual property and, and helping to bring, um, you know, non-experiential music business to our city. And I just thought that's it, you know, and it's all a question of like, you can build a strategy, you have to implement it. There are plenty of questions that remain about what that will look like going forward. But I was inspired to see that focus coming into the project. Absolutely. And, you know, we have uh, Jocelyn Neneman, who was one of our advisors for many, many years, a Detroiter who has been in New Orleans for years. And we'll, we'll run this all by her and, and see if she has anything uh, for feedback as well uh, on that front. But um, absolutely, I one of our, uh, uh, we had a musician who performed at an event earlier this year, uh, George Davison, the drummer, uh, played with uh, Ron English. And, you know, he was playing on stage with a, this is before COVID, with a respirator. You know, oh my gosh. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, yes. uh, glad, glad he was still playing, glad he was still out there, glad he, if he wanted to be. But I think the crucial piece is, is that at some point, um, uh, you'd like to believe that it's purely by choice and that he doesn't right. need, uh, to be at that gig, um, and that he can be, uh, taking care of his health and then, and experiencing <laughs> music of younger people, if that's what he wants or advising or doing whatever else Absolutely. he wants to do. No. This idea yeah. of a musician that has to, I mean, Mick Jagger does not need to go onto the stage. Right. Uh, <laughs> right. He's fine. He's fine. He's no, fine. I'm thinking of, um, I saw Teeny Hodges who, uh, for those who aren't as familiar as a, uh, lead guitarist of high rhythm who played on, you know, all of the amazing soul tracks that came out of high records and, and so many more. Um, but I saw him on oxygen playing, uh, yeah. and at South by Southwest, I want to say that was like a, a, maybe a year before he passed, but yeah, exactly. We, we have to create a scenario where, um, we're equipping these musicians for, to be able to make those choices. I think the way you framed that was perfect. Um, you know, I would love for them to be able to be performing until they're in the grave. If that's what, is making them happy. Um, but it's, it needs to be a choice and I don't think it is right now. No, I don't think it is either. Uh, as we're leaving the door here, uh, Elizabeth, we'll, we have, uh, this is just the beginning. We'll, we'll put a number of links in the piece and we really appreciate you. What, what give me a, you are the, um, the music export office. You're, you're part of that crew. Um, give me somebody new from Memphis that we can link to at the end of the piece. So we, uh, we, we feel like we're, uh, 
a little hip to what's what's happening in Memphis? Give us somebody to listen to. Sure. Yeah. Uh, check out Taliba Sophia. T-A-L-I-B-A-H. S-A-F-I-Y-A, Taliba Safiya. Um, incredible neo-soul R&B singer, uh, born and raised Memphian. She moved away, lived in New York for a few years. The city called her back and she has been putting out incredible music. I mean, I think she's already released six or seven singles in the last six months alone. So um, you will be vibing. My favorite song by her is called Up and Down. So go check her out. Fantastic. Uh, Elizabeth K. Wine from uh, Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, sending our our uh, uh, best of health and safety to you and your ecosystem. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Carlton. episode of Sonic Solidarity was recorded and produced by myself, Carlton Bowles. It was edited and engineered by Detroit Sound Conservancy's projects manager, Jonah Raiden Silverstein. Our theme music was performed by bassist Marion Hayden and saxophonist Deshaun Jones in front of the legendary Bluebird Inn, Detroit, Michigan, 2019.